With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 5th. It was a manic Monday indeed at the 2021 Wimbledon. All 16 round of 16 singles matches played on a single day of action. Almost all of them delivering the goods. You look across the board, whether it was the three-set power tennis thriller between Sabalenka and Rabakina on the women's side, whether on the men's side, it was the five-set no-one-can-hold-serve thriller that was Sebastian Korda versus Karen Hatchinov. Of course, you also had Shabor Sviantek. My match of the day in terms of quality, go the distance. You had Zverev versus FAA, your typical Alex Zverev in a second week of a Grand Slam five-setter that ultimately propels Felix Ogier Aliassime to the first of likely many major quarterfinals in his career. Tons of other action as well. Djokovic, Federer advancing comfortably. Ashley Barty rounding into form. Want to talk about all of that on today's podcast. I'll try to keep it under an hour because it's just going to be me steering the ship. I'm not going to do 10 minutes on all 16 matches. Probably could like sneak in there couldn't I do a five-minute segment on Pliskova and Samsonova and potentially you listeners would be interested in that as always tweet at me at great shot pod if the case is no but even that match to see Carolina Pliskova just quietly work her way to another Grand Slam quarterfinal we think is that window closed for her well now she's going to be a comfortable favorite against Victoria Golubic in the quarterfinal uh tomorrow Again, is Carolina Pliskova quietly have a shot of sneaking in a major title here in the year of chaos that is 2021? At this point, you have to say maybe because she's one of the final eight. We've still got one match to go on the Madden side and scheduling in general something I want to address on this podcast as well. But of course, before I get into my day seven recap, I have to remind all of you listeners that the reason we're able to do any of this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, you guys know the deal. The best equipment at the best prices. Shoes, socks, shorts, shirts, strings, grips, rackets, you name it, they've got it. They've got a fantastic and lovely staff that can help direct you in the right direction should you need a little bit of assistance. You can find all of this on their website, tennis-point.com. You use our promo code CR15 with your purchase. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Again, it's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get into Manic Monday. And again, the match I want to start with is the Jabour-Sviantek match. Because if you didn't think Own Jabour was capable of winning a Grand Slam, if you still weren't convinced, you look through her first three matches to get to round one. She beats Rebecca Pedersen, straight set two and one victory. She beats Venus Williams, close first set, seven five. She ultimately serves it out six love in the second. Third round match, pukes before her match point. Ultimately serves it out 5-7-6-3-6-2 over Garbine Muguruza, of course, for Onjabur. This is coming off of the first title in her career. She won it in Birmingham on the grass. In the lead-up to this Wimbledon, she knocks off Fernandez, Watson, Kasekina. She beat Marketa Vandrusova the next week before losing in three sets to eventual champion Yelena Ostapenko. And of course, <clears throat> excuse me, for Onjabur, it's a constant theme of success. She's been one of the 
10, 11 breakthrough player. I mean, one of the top five breakthrough players, but I would argue one of the top 15 for sure, perhaps even one of the 10 best players since the tours resumed in August. You look for her in her last 52 weeks. She's got 45 wins against 17 losses. That's a 73% win percentage. You look for her in terms of the results. I mentioned the title in Eastbourne. She also made a final in Charleston. She's made quarterfinals. In both the Western and Southern Open, she made a quarterfinal in Ostrava, a semifinal in Charleston, round of 16 at the French Open. She also made a third round Australian Open, round of 16 last year's Roland Garros, and then third round U.S. Open where she lost to Sonia Kennan. She's played some fantastic tennis over her last 52 weeks. And, of course, if you want the more advanced metrics for her top 50, top 20, top 10, 14 and 9 against top 50 opponents, 5 and 5 against top 20, 2 and 4 against top 10. But, again, you look for Onjabur. Fringe member, take your shot. Top 15 club. You've heard these stats all week long. She's 15th in hold percentage over the last 52 weeks. Uh, she's 14th in break percentage. Those two numbers for her 73.6% hold. And then that break percentage currently 40.9%. It's the variety of things that Own Shabur can do that ultimately wins her matches. And in this match in particular, it was on full display. Own Jabour played spe- spectacular tennis in a 5-7-6-1-6-1 win over Sviantec. And look, Jabour was up an early break in that first set. She had the opportunity to close out the first before Sviantec made her run. And, or, excuse me, she didn't have the opportunity to close out the first, but she was up a break early in that first set before Sviantec was able to find her comfort zone. And you look at the numbers on serve in this match. They were not pretty, particularly in the first set and throughout the match for Iga Sviantek. She only makes 46% of her first serves, wins 58% of those first serve points, 44% of her second serve points. Now, Jabour, early on in the match, set one in particular, she was around 50% for her first serve percentage. But Made the switch, set two and three, a little bit less pace, a little bit more hitting the spots, opening up the court so she could play plus one tennis. She went 74% of her first serve points on the match at a 61% first serve in percentage. She wins 48% of her second serve points, seven of seven on her break point chances. Meanwhile, Iga, three of 15. Let's be clear, Iga did have chances. In both sets, two and three, that 6-1, 6-1 scoreline, a little bit misleading, and that's a testament to the shot-making prowess, to the huevos on Onjabur. You name it, she'll do it, she pulls it off. She was hitting drop shot returns on Iga Sviantek's second serve. Iga Sviantek hits a heavy kick, and I know we're on a grass court, and a grass court neutralizes a kick serve, but to have the control and the feel and the the balls to hit a drop shot as your return of serve and to pull it off successfully multiple times, Onjabur froze Iga. And that was the thing in the biggest moments is there remained a degree of unpredictability for Onjabur. She could hit the slice as both a drop shot, as a short angle, and then when she caught Iga sneaking forward, She'd drive it into the court and just miss foot Iga Sviantek so she couldn't hit a passing shot cleanly. And then, you know, again, second serve returns. Iga wins only 44% of them. And even on the first serve, Iga only winning at a 58% clip. Shabur's inside the baseline taking that return, whether it's on the rise down the line, on the rise cross court, short angle. Again, she hits a drop shot freaking return in this match. She can just do a little bit of everything. Now, Iga was still struggling to find her comfort zone. And you look for Iga Sviantek, she's played fewer than 20 professional matches on grass court. She's a former junior grass court champion. Her athleticism, you know, that first set in particular was a, there, it was physical at times. And Iga did a good job of responding to that big first ball and was able to track it down. And at times she connected in the outer thirds, was hitting the cross court forehand with pace. And the moment, you know, if she was able to attack because Onjabur again, making right around 50% of her first serves in that first set, when Sviantek was able to get a clean rip at a second serve, it was all Iga. It was on her terms and as well as Jabour moves and she is a sneaky good mover. Iga did display in that first set again a sort of pace, an aggression, a willingness to move forward, a willingness to again take a risk down the line and still beat you to the spot, not allow you to track down that ball and now attack the open space. 
I think all of this translates well for Iga, and I mentioned this yesterday in our last uh, mini-break podcast, but she's the only player on the WTA Tour to reach the fourth round at all three slams. She's, what, now 23-7 and seven since the Tour resumed in August. She's made countless quarterfinals, winning record against top 50, top 20, 500 against top 10 opponents. Iga's been awesome. She's showing the consistency early in her career that often portends someone who is a multi-time Grand Slam champion. To have this degree of success, she just turned 20 years old. This result has more to do with Onjabur, who is, you know, by advanced metrics, top 12 in both overall ELO and 2021 ELO. And those advanced metrics, the progression she's made, it makes sense as these results, if you've been watching the tour week in, week out, that it's manifesting itself at the biggest stages. And again, there's just, there's a confidence, a courage to her shots to do that in a fourth round match you're in a third set against a grand slam champion i know she's younger than you but a grand slam champion top 10 player now up to number seven in the rankings it's incredible stuff from own jabour and the biggest joke that she's only number 22 in the live rankings after making this wimbledon quarterfinal now if she wins one more match she'll only move up to number 20. That own jabour is not a top 20 player i know there are a lot of good ones in there and you're looking at the names above her Rabakina's 20, Sakari's 19, Pavlochenkova's 18. I would say of that group, I know Pavlochenkova made the French Open final, but she's been the least consistent of those four names. I'd probably move her out of the top 20, put Jabour in. You look at some of the names, Bencic, probably a name at number 11. You could circle that maybe shouldn't be a little bit lower. Pliskova just made the quarterfinals here. And again, her year outside of her matches against Jess Pegula, really not that bad. I mean, Hallis been injured, so I suppose by that meaning she shouldn't still be in the top 10. But if healthy, she's a top 10 player. Like, the last borderline cases are Vika, and then let's be honest here, Serena Williams. Like, outside of that, it's tough to get Onjabur in the mix there. And then you see players on the outside still, like Goff and, you know, Angelique Kerber when she plays her best. And Annette Conteve has been in the mix in so many events. There are more than 20 players who are playing at a top 20 level. I know that's really stupid to say, but it's the truth. And I just think Onjabur is unequivocally one of them. I think you look at her consistency at the majors, again, multiple rounds of 16s into a quarterfinal here at Wimbledon, multiple quarterfinals as well over the past two and a half seasons of play. That is the recipe of a top 20 player. She's number 22 in the rankings. She's only going to go higher from there. Her matchup against Sabalenka tomorrow, that's the match of the day. That is the match from a level perspective, from a matchup perspective, from a career arc perspective. Who gets into their first Grand Slam semifinal? Does Jabour, in this moment of generational change, take advantage of the lack of a solidified top one player, of the uncertainty amongst so many of these youngsters? Is it a Pliskova who emerges? Or is Arena Sabalenka who's shown such a fantastic level, and we'll get into that match now as she knocks off Elena Rabakina in three sets. Is she ready to grab the reins? Is she ready to make that jump from really freaking good at her peak but not consistent enough at the biggest stages to be considered a future perennial champion to a champion? Is she ready to be a Grand Slam champion? Let's just be firm here. That is the question we ask. You look for her today. Again, it's a straight set win for her. Uh, straight set, excuse me. A three set win for her over Elena Rabakina. 6-3-4-6-6-3. This match was your traditional power grass court. Big strike, big power hitting tennis. And you look in the match, yes, there were eight breaks of serve, but you look in that third set, Sabalenka gets the break. She holds on to it, rides it out at the end of the match. Again, able to break her at th- at 4-3 uh, Sabalenka, 4-5-3, and serve it out. It, it was so interesting because Rabakina's stretch forehand return on the do side, I know that's a very specific thing, but when she gets stretched and challenged on that forehand side, because she is 5'11", 6 feet tall, her ability to, to connect with that ball and beat you to the spot down the line, even when she goes out wide and you know that's where she's going to attack because that's the closest spot to her, she's got f*** you sort of power. She's got Serena Williams country club, uh, power tennis country club sort of power, and I've talked about that before, so I won't have to do the full breakdown 
um, for all of you again. But again, when she's playing first serve tennis, when she's playing first strike, she's at a, a top 10 level. You look for her hold percentage amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. She's currently sixth in hold percentage. You look for Elena Rabakina over her last 52 weeks, and obviously, you know, she's coming off of a quarterfinal at Roland Garros. She loses in Eastbourne semifinals to Ostapenko now, loses here in three sets to Sabalenka for Rabakina here in 2021. 72.3% hold percentage, but if you carry that over from last season where she was at 76.8 over her last 52 weeks, she's been in that 74.7% range. Again, that's good enough for sixth right now amongst top 50 players. She's uh, breaking serve 32.6% of the time, but I think that speaks to her aggression. Again, there was a tough stretch for her early on in this season, but she's really flipped the script. And again, when she was able to land first serves, you look at the stats in this match, she won 71% of her first serve points. The problem for Rabakina in this one, she wasn't able to land enough first serves. Only makes them at a 56% clip. Uh, only wins 39% of her second serve points. Is 3 of 6 on break point chances versus Sabalenka's 5 and 11. And for Sabalenka in this match because there was... You know, it's actually interesting. I don't know if there was a stretch where Sabalenka, you know, there wasn't that stretch where she just can't land a ball in the court for 15 minutes consecutively, where she's double faulting, where she's given up hope. She came out locked in, focused in that first uh, set. And I do think from a matchup perspective, this was a good one for her because the power tennis of Rabakina keeps things simple. You leave a ball in the center, you leave a hanging second serve, you leave anything short, she's attacking it. She's playing powerful. And so for Sabalenka, she had to be locked in from start to finish because there was no margin for error. There was no playing with her food. She's not playing a grinder. She's not able to, you know, mix in the random drop shot because they're playing 15, 20 ball rallies and she's not, you know, messing around and hitting these 20 foot shots elevated over the net. There was none of that because Rabakina doesn't let you do that. Rabakina plays big and if she misses, and she did miss in this match, and unfortunately, again, the Wimbledon site, the stats are being difficult to me. They have the unforced errors on them. I'm not able to access them right now, but needless to say, she committed more unforced errors than Sabalenka. Sabalenka, I think, hit more winners as well, but Rabakina took her swings, and Rabakina put herself in a position to win. 3-4 on serve, third set. And that's despite making only 56% of her first serves. And, you know, at the beginning of third set, of, of the third set, of third set, hey, great shot, of the third set, uh, drop the it's cleaner that way. Social network, come on, anyone? Justin Timberlake playing Sean Parker? You remember the movie. It's the movie of a generation. Anyways, um, you look for, uh, if what was I even saying there? Oh, Elena Rabak in a 3-4, third set. She has an opportunity to, you know, put some pressure on Sapolenka, but in that set, she challenges, uh, in that set, excuse me, in that game, she hits two serves to the Sabalenka backhand. One of them, Sabalenka, drills at Rabakina's feet. It draws an error. The other one, Sabalenka, hits huge down the line. It draws an error. There was also a double fault from Rabakina in that game. And then she hits a good serve to the Sabalenka forehand. There's, a, I think, like an 11 to 12 shot rally uh, that ultimately ends in a Rabakina error. And that's because Sabalenka, again, sneaky good athlete, regardless of surface power. Powerful first steps, uh, step, sneaky, fluid, comfortable moving forward, comfortable in the outer thirds. When Sabalenka plays her best, it looks excellent. And you know the numbers for Sabalenka at this point because I say them every third day here on this podcast. But you look for her over her last 52 weeks, as I mentioned, for uh, Arena Sabalenka. She's been really freaking good. She's now 50-15, and 15, winning 77% of her matches. You look for her, obviously, titles for her in Ostrava, in Linz, in Abu Dhabi. Dobby. She also wins that title in Madrid, loses in the final of Stuttgart, now into her first Grand Slam quarterfinal, and that's the big milestone for her because Australian Open round of 16 felt like she had her chances against Serena, not able to get over the finish line. Roland Garros wins that second set 6-2 over Pavlochenkova in the third round. Feels like that's her match now on her racket. She gets bageled in the third set. You even want to go back last year, the three-set loss to Jabour when she had her chances, set points in set number one, and then she cruises through set number two only to lose in the third or, you know, again— so many different matches you can point to because 15 losses, 13 of them have been in three sets, but this was a breakthrough. You could see the relief in her face. She expressed it as much in the press conference afterwards as well. 
this was a moment for Arena Sabalenka, a confidence-building moment. And now she's got a familiar opponent in Own Jabour, someone she's one and one against both of those matchups in the last 52 weeks. But, you know, someone who you look at their uh, two matchups, Sabalenka beat her 2-4 and four when they played in Abu Dhabi this year. Jabour beat her 7-6-2-6-6-3 in that aforementioned French Open third round. In both of the matches, Sabalenka wins over 73% of her first serve points, an identical 40.9% of her second serve points, which isn't great. But the big number that fluctuated for Jabour was her success on first serve because at that French Open match, there was a 20-minute stretch where Sabalenka just couldn't land a return in the point. That certainly helped Jabour's first serve numbers. In the Abu Dhabi match, Sabalenka was locked in from start to finish, and it does feel like just by making the quarterfinals at this event, that was a goal accomplished. No one expects her, despite being the number two seed, and I suppose, except for me, no one. it's not even an expectation, I suppose, as much as a belief that she can win the event from my side, but no one penciled in at the start of the draw, again, I suppose, except for me, because that was my prediction, Arena Sabalenka as the champion, um, or very few did. It's the Barty camp, the Kerber camp, the the Ostapenko camp. There were a lot of camps, but Sabalenka wasn't the most common camp, or at least it didn't feel like she was the most common. Maybe I'm wrong. And again, at Great Shot Pod, please let me know. But she's into the quarterfinals now. It's an opponent she knows. Herbert serve, her forehand, the biggest weapons in this match, her backhand probably as well. Certainly Jabour's got variety to make her uncomfortable, but if Jabour's hang in second serve, Sabalenka will make her pay. She's got the sort of firepower to prevent Jabour, you know, trying to hit a drop shot return against Sabalenka's return. If anyone can pull it off, it's own Jabour, but it's a lot more difficult to do. This was a moment for Arena Sabalenka. Again, Elena Rabakina is back. After struggling early in the season, you look for Rabakina. She's number 20 right now in the world rankings. That's three off her career high of number 17. Sabalenka now up to a new career high of number three. I believe if she wins this event and Barty loses in the quarterfinal, she'll become the number one player in the world. If she wins, I think she's got to win two more matches to pass Osaka and become the number two player in the world. But she solidified herself in the top five. There's a thousand point gap between her and Kennan at number four. Arena Sabalenka, when it's clicking, that number makes sense. When it's not, she's a she's not good. But that's what makes watching her so enjoyable. That's again the the ceiling through the roof, the floor causing some problems in your basement, a lot of damage. You're gonna need some house insurance, you're gonna need some flood insurance, you're gonna need some work done. Uh, but right now, I, I do think this is a good matchup for her. I think that's your match of the day. Again, uh, in terms of your quarterfinals, should be a really, really fun one. It's a match I talk about on the GSP Ace of the Day as well, so you're going to hear that twice, I suppose. But again, Sabalenka, three sets over Rabakina. Rabakina will be back. I think Summer Hardcourt's going to be very good for her. Look for her. I don't know if she can points-wise, given the restrictions, but she's someone with a top-10 ceiling, sincerely. When the power tennis... When it's landing, she can just hit through opponents, but Sabalenka, just a little bit more dynamic. She earns the victory in the end. Those were your two three-set matches on the women's side. The rest of the matches going straight sets. So with that in mind, let's flip gears a little bit. Talk about the men's side. We had three matches ultimately go the distance. The one I got to start with is Hatchinov and Korda. Hatchinov and Korda was funky. There were 11 breaks of serve in the 10-8 fifth set. Karen Hatchinov won, and ultimately for Hatchinov, it was a 3-6-6-4-6-3-5-7-10-8 victory again. 18 games, no tiebreaker in the fifth set until you get to 12-all, and then they play that deciding breaker at 12-all in the fifth. But, you know, until that point, it's full-service games. 18 games, 11 of them were breaks. Now, I guess the record is 13. It was like a 1976 match. I apologize. I don't have the tweet in front of me. I know both Ricky Diamond and Ben Rothenberg tweeted it out. I know the record for breaks is 13, uh, but 10-8 in the fifth set is certainly something. And, you know, for both of these players, it was kind of slick. There was some rain, you know, not the best conditions. And yet, you know, it's funny because the service numbers outside of the break points, 10 of 15, 9 of 17. I mean, again, I wish I had the fifth set specific stats in front of me. But overall, for Hatchinov in this match, and remember, it's six breaks of serve. So in the first four sets, he had four breaks through the first four sets. Uh, Korda had four breaks 
pretty even across the board. You look for them, both guys win over 65% of their first serve points, over 50% of their second serve points. In terms of total points, one attached of 169, quarter 161. This is the future of men's tennis, folks. Two six foot six behemoths battling from the baseline. And, you know, again, that first set. Corda was the more aggressive, uh, aggressive of the two players. He played as though he was the underdog with nothing to lose. And, you know, Hatchinov came out tentative. He was, you know, hitting the first serve, but staying on his back foot when he was hitting that first forehand or missing that backhand in the net or missing that first volley, forcing his way forward when he didn't hit the best approach shot, just trying to test Corda in the outer thirds. And, you know, again, for 20, 21 years old, Sebastian Corda is pretty fit already. He's not the most fluid athlete, but movement's never going to be an issue for him. And he's six foot five, six foot six. He's got the length to get away with not being a Diego Schwartzman type of quickness as an athlete. But you know, movement's not an issue from him. Hitting in the outer thirds of the court not an issue for him. And what's so dangerous about Sebastian Corda is he's so good off of both wings. And it is a credit to Hatchnov, who in sets two and three really focused on that first strike. Locking in, ideally hitting a forehand, but just hitting the first ball. Um, honest to gosh, honest to gosh, that was, I've been living in Indianapolis for far too long. Honest to God, that was so embarrassing. And it's because I'm talking about Sebastian Court, he's underage, I don't want to say God. Anyways, honest to goodness, um, for Hatchinov, it was hitting the first ball where quarter wasn't. And then even if that first ball wasn't for a winner, if let's say it's an ad side point, first forehand, you know, serve into the body of quarter, first forehand's going to the deuce side, second forehand, now going to the ad side, and third forehand, now you've got the option quarter's thinking. He's not going cross court patterns here. Is he going to go to the open space? Is he going to go behind me? Hatchinov had options with that serve plus two forehands sort of pattern, and he could did a good job of implementing it and again with for Karen Hatchnov he's now into the second grand slam quarterfinal of his career it feels like that number's a little low right because he wins what was it the 2018 i believe uh Paris Masters event and then or maybe I think it was 2018 I think Jack Sock wins 2017 I may have those years reversed in my head anyways he wins that i'm pretty sure it was 18 because then all of a sudden Medvedev Rublev they race ahead of them. And then early this season, it was Karatsev who races ahead of him. And all the, you know, Karen Hatchinov, an afterthought amongst, in the Russian tennis circles, I suppose. Now, I, that's not true. He's still a top 30 player in the world, right? He's a 25 seed here. He makes second weeks or third rounds of Grand Slams. Like, it's his job. And it's worth noting this was, I believe, his seventh uh, or sixth, excuse me, round of 16 at a Grand Slam. That's the same amount as Stefano Tsitsipas. That's more than Andre Rublev. And yet, we haven't seen him make, you know, only the one quarterfinal. But this was a match. His physicality in the end wore out. And what's so impressive for Hatchinov, again, for him to be six foot six. That fluid, that strong, it's just these guys are freak athletes. And we look at the players who make the quarterfinals, Hatchnov, six foot four or taller, FAA, six foot four or taller. Uh you look for Martin Fucevic, six foot four or taller, Matteo Berrettini, six foot four or taller, both Herkats and Medvedev, six foot four or taller. Yes, you have Djokovic, Federer, and Shapovalov. But Shapovalov is an elite exceptional athlete that combination of speed and power you just don't see that frequently Djokovic he's not exceptional he's just an average athlete folks just nothing special about Novak Djokovic no he's Novak freaking Djokovic he can do the splits like it's I mean Novak Djokovic freak Roger Federer it's not about the speed it's not about the power it's about the precision and his contact point his hands that's you're never going to see some I mean you may see someone that coordinated but you're never going to see someone more coordinated than Roger Federer that's a different sort of skill but Size wins out, always. If you can hit a serve uh, 130 mile per hour at will and you can also move fluidly and have that length to get away with things as well in the outer thirds of the court, that's a recipe for success in the modern men's game. And a lot of these players now start to have it. You look for Hatchnov. Again, it was that that first step, his power, his ability to, you know, again, stay locked in when things continued to go against him. And then Korda gets a hold in the fifth set. What does Hatchnov do for the first time in 
literally, I think it was four service games. He gets a hold, and I believe it was at Love. And then, you know, ultimately, finally, he gets that break. 9-8 serves it out at 10-8, able to land some first serves in that game and just, you know, hit a couple of big forehands, give himself some margin. Force Corda, who you could tell was physically wearing down. And again, for Corda, still so, so young. And so you do, you know, you're not worried about him. He's a guy, top 30 server, top number 11 in return percentage. He's going to be fine. Uh, and I know this was not the best 21st birthday gift for him. It is his birthday. Happy birthday to you, Sebastian Corda. But you look for Karen Hatchnov again. Uh, this was a good win for him. Second career quarterfinal, again, at a Grand Slam. First at Wimbledon, and you look for him of late. He gets going, but then there's a pause. You know, for him this year, round of 16 since he, round of 32 U.S. Open, then loses first round Rome, second round Hamburg. Then it's round of 16 Roland Garros, quarterfinal loss in St. Antwerp, uh, St. Petersburg, quarterfinal loss Antwerp, first round loss Vienna, first round loss Paris. Start the year. Semifinals uh, in the warm-up event in Australia. Third round loss to Berrettini, 6-6-6 in Australia. But then, you know, a disappointing summer and clay court season. Rotterdam, quarterfinal loss to Tsitsipas, 3. That's fine. Marseille loses to Abdin, Dubai. Loses to Chardy, Miami. Three-set loss to Sinner. That's fine. Monte Carlo loses to Carino Busta. Loses to Nori, Nishikori, Delbonis in Barcelona, Madrid, Rome. First round, respectively. But he's got the juices going a little bit now. And again, three out of five sets, his physicality, it wins out. Corda will be back. If your takeaway from this match is, oh, what a choke from Corda. Couldn't get it done in the fifth set. A, 21 years old. B, still has played fewer than 10 grand slams in his life. Has played fewer than 10 career matches on grass courts at the professional level in his life. And he has made the round of 16 at this slam. And he was... One hold away, I suppose, in that fifth set. You played the what-if game without Hatchnoff responded differently, maybe. But, you know, he's a first serve here, a forehand approach shot there. Uh, two years of physical maturity away from winning this match, getting into the quarterfinals. And again, you look at his wins in this tournament for Sebastian Corda. He's able to knock off Demonauer and Dan Evans, look comfortable doing so. Plays Hatchinov essentially to a draw for four and three-quarter sets. Nothing but positive things coming out of this tournament from Sebastian Corda. But again, this is a big one for Karen Hatchinov, who you look now in his last 52 weeks. This helps. 31-23 and 23 now overall. He gets the four wins this week, so certainly that's good. His hold percentage, a little bit down from his career averages. His break percentage, certainly down from his career averages. They're trailing by about 3 and 4% respectively, but... He's still a top 20, top 30 guy. Just physically puts so much pressure on you. The serve when it's landing, it's absolutely a weapon. The forehand doesn't have top 10 consistency, but definitely has top 10 power when it's clicking and he's hitting it on his front foot. He can move in the outer thirds. The back, the back, the backhand, backhand, hand solid. He knows when to work. Not the best at executing volleys, but he certainly knows when, and he's gotten better at it. Uh, again, it's not the most natural feel. It's a little robotic, but over the course of a three out of five sets, the robot doesn't malfunction. And ultimately in this match, it gets over the line ahead of Sebastian Corda, 10-8 in the fifth set. This is a feel-good one for Sebastian, uh, for Karen Hatchnov. Going to sting for Sebastian Corda, but certainly a win for him coming out of this Wimbledon. And for whatever it's worth in the ATP rankings right now, you look for Karen Hatchnov by making this quarterfinal. He is still outside the top 20, number 25, far off his career high of number 8. You look for Sebastian Corda. He's one of those guys because he had so few points, can fly up these ATP rankings into the top 54 of the first time. That's where he belongs. Currently at number 46. That's way too low, but he's going to keep working his way up. And now, summer hard courts. He's going to probably get into all the Masters events with that 46 ranking. How can he come out of this European summer and not be excited about that? The schedule is planned for him at this point. Very, very excited to see what Sebastian Corda has in store for all of us moving forward. Uh, but, of course, here moving forward at Wimbledon, it will be Karen Hatchinoff, five-set victory over Corda. Your other five-setter on the day, I want to – well, I guess two more five-setters, but – uh, just quick breakdown of Zverev FAA before we get to our other results because you look for Alex Zverev in this match. I mean, it's your typical Alex Zverev five-set performance, right? You look for him 
up breaks in both sets one and two. First serve begins to fail him. Felix Ogier Aliasim able to take them away. Six four seven six. Next two sets, Zverev comes out, locks in physically, plays a little bit more aggressive from the baseline. The first serve starts landings to allow him to play more aggressive. Plus one tennis. You know, ultimately in this match, he's able to take six three sets in both the third and the fourth. You know, there was a weather delay. They ended up closing the roof, and it did feel like. Like again, before that, all of the momentum was on the side of Alex Virev after those third and fourth sets. But, you know, then the serve abandons him. He hits a critical double fault. He gives that early break up to Felix and Felix, able to run away with it, able to hold serve the rest of the way. Alex Zverev has his chances, but ultimately, it's a 6-4-7-6-3-6-3-6-6-4 victory for FAA. And again, we'll get to the glass half full for FAA because listeners of this podcast know I've been on that bandwagon. I will continue to be a believer. He's one of my locks to emerge from this decade with a Grand Slam title. But 20 double faults for Alex Virov in this match. That's not a, a misprint. That's not me misspeaking. 20 double faults for him in this match. I, it's just like it's the same over and over. And again, I, we've talked about all aspects of Alex Virov far too many times on this podcast. But that's just – that's inexcusable at this point. There's nothing else to say. That's a critical reason to why – let's be clear. He lost this match because he had – all of the momentum in sets three and four. He was up breaks of serve in sets one and two. All he has to do is close out one of them. All he has to do is win that breaker. I believe he had a set point up 6-5 before Felix ends up taking an 8-6 victory in this, or maybe it was 6-5 the other way. Either way, 8-6-7 in that 7-6 tie break uh, for Felix in set number two. He got tentative. In the fifth set, he was so tentative in sets one and two as well. He always plays not to lose instead of playing to win, and he's a guy who can do so many things. But you got to give credit here to Felix Ogier-Aliassime, who only made 56% leave it in of his first serves, who had not won a set in his three previous counters against Alex Virev, but is able to win 71% of his first serve points, 66% of his second serve points, create 13 break point chances, convert on five of them, and look— that forehand's elite. When he connects on it, the sonic boom that comes off the strings, this ability, just the weight, the pace of that shot, it, it gets you on your back foot. It's really difficult to respond to, even when you have the quickness and the length and the first step of Alex Zverev. It still just gives FAA room to work with, and because he's a pretty quick and long athlete himself, he gets around that ball inside. You know, it's cross court forehand or inside in, inside out, or inside out, inside in. Whatever combo he wants, he can hit two, three forehands successively. Uh, successively, he's winning the rally. He's on his front foot. He's comfortable moving forward. And I think he's got sneaky good feel at the net for a guy who's so powerful. And he's another guy like Sebastian Corda that slices more drive than cut. But because his racket speed he generates is so quick and so the torque is so forceful, it does cut more than you'd expect. And I think his backhand you know, year by year generates more and more depth off of that wing and his ability to rip it both cross court and down the line with pace. I would say Zverev won the backhand exchanges, but it was 60-40. And to play Zverev 60-40 on a backhand wing, that's a development for FA. And then that forehand, he won those exchanges. And, you know, when Zverev would pop, when FA connected on first serve, Zverev would pop it up. FA is putting that ball away. And you saw it in the way he held up 5-4 in that fifth set. Just a couple of decisive first forehands to open up the point, open up the court. And then he takes advantage of that. And for FAA, who's made the fourth round at every slam but the French, Open into his first quarterfinal is still going to be 0-8 in ATP Tour Finals, and that stat's still going to come up, and people are going to forget how good you feel about this run, but you know, to borrow the cliche, exercising some demons, that's what Felix Ogier Aliasim does in this match, and you know, again, for him to get over the hump, to get that break of serve, and Ezvirov's pressuring him, but FAA manages to hold, and to get the early momentum in set number five as well, to keep swinging even as Virev uh, was making his comeback in sets three and four, to not give up despite finding yourself blowing that sort of uh, that sort of lead. It's a testament to the willpower. Who, again, I, I say this every month. The, the youngest people in history to do things on the ATP Challenger Tour. You always heard for Carlos Alcaraz this past summer. Who was the people he are in 2020? Who were the people he joined? It was always 15-year-old Richard Gasquet, 
16-year-old or 15-year-old Felix Oshir Aliasim, 16 and 17-year-old Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, and now Carlos Alcaraz. That's like the group, and Delpo. That's the group of six guys who did things on the ATP Challenger Tour before the age of 17, 18 years old. Felix was always the youngest to do this before he was the youngest to do this, before he was the youngest to do this. And as such, expectations have accumulated for him. There's no denying that. An 0-8 in ATP Finals is a blemish, and he's not played his best tennis in some of those finals. He'd be the first to admit it, but you could see the relief on his face Again, to not only get over the hump to beat Zverev doing it as well, this was a huge victory for Felix Ogier Aliasim. It's impossible to not enjoy this kid. His smile contagious, the best gap tooth since Michael Strahan. Uh, obviously, shout out to that, but... You know, that's a joke, by the way. I hope all of you uh, are Michael Strahan familiar. Come on, today's show host, right? Is Am I showing my age by making a Michael Strahan reference? No, everyone knows who Michael Strahan is. But again, that smile is just contagious. Um, and he's just such a kind. You can just tell there's nothing but kindness when talking about Felix Ogier Aliasim uh, or when, when hearing him speak and just his respect for the game, his desire to get the most of himself. He put so much pressure on himself, and you could tell the relief he felt by making that quarterfinal for the first time in opener history, by the way, two Canadian men into the singles quarterfinals at a Grand Slam. It you know He matches Shapovalov here, who has been his peer forever. That is a fantastic result for him. He earns this five-set win as he knocks off Alex Virev to advance to the quarterfinals. Now, again, there was another five-setter in Andre Rublev, Marton Fucevic that I want to talk about, and I want to touch on the rest of Manic Monday's results as well. But before I can do that, of course, i got to remind all of you listeners that we here at Crack Rackets really excited to be partnering with our friends over at Manscaped to provide the best in the world in men's below-the-waist grooming equipment. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and just launched their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 you heard that right the lawnmower 4.0 you can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust manscaped with their below the waist grooming needs you can get 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping with our promo code new balls please at manscaped.com again that's 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping with the promo code uh, new balls please at manscaped.com look again do you want to hear about my Manscaped rituals? No. I will tell you this. To have all of the brand new items, the tools, I didn't even know you were supposed to use half of these things. Manscaped hooking us up. I can personally attest to all of the products. They work. They were the first things I made sure to pack as we moved CRHQ from, uh, I suppose, the west side to the east side of Indianapolis. And I was like, west off, because we were packing up the garage, all of our CR gear, and we had just shot the video for Manscaped. And I was like, west off. Like, I need that. that that's my and that's my pair of boxers. Like I gotta pack that. That's the shirt. That's the shape. I can't leave without my lawnmower 4.0. And he's like, "How are we gonna fit a lawnmower?" I was like, "No, the lawnmower 4.0." And he goes, "Oh, the lawnmower 4.0. Of course, here it is." grab it. I brought it with me. I'm better for it. You can be better off with it as well. Get 20% off and free shipping again with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job. NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. With that in mind, let's run through the rest of the day's results for Marton Fucevic overcomes four losses earlier in the season to Andre Rublev to earn a five-set victory this time. I suppose he lost four times earlier in the season, but no one beats Marton Fucevic five-set. The former junior Wimbledon champion five-set win over Rublev, 6-3, love 6-3. Talked about the advantages of size. They all manifested themselves for Fucevic in this match. He had the length, the first step, the strength to withstand the firepower of Andre Rublev over the course of a two-hour, 41-minute match and then had the sort of first serve to disrupt Rublev's rhythm, to not allow him to just 
take massive cuts at the return of serve on forehand after forehand after forehand and just, you know, again, was able to absorb that first strike, was able to incorporate enough slice because he does have sneaky good feel to break the rhythm of Rublev, was able to move forward to the net to keep Rublev on his back foot, not allow him to be the aggressor and execute it at a high enough percentage on his first serve to ultimately get through in this match. You look for Fucevic only made 56% of his first serves, but won 90% of those points. Now, some of that, again, Rublev, outer thirds on a grass court. It's interesting to say someone's got to get better, but in modern tennis, you have to be proficient in the outer thirds on the grass court. Rublev got better at it this grass court season, the final he made in Hala before losing to Umber, round of 16 here. Unequivocally, a step forward for Rublev, uh, but for Fucevic, you know, again, 7 of 13 on break points. Rublev was 3 of 8. Fucevic wins 55% of his second serve points and, again, 90% of his first serve points to Rublev's uh, 51% on second serve, 64% on first serve splits. Fucevic was just better over the course of five sets, and certainly the 6-0 set makes some of those numbers lopsided, but Fucevic just put relentless pressure on Rublev, and if you can get Rublev stretched to the outer thirds, you force him into plans B, C, and D, and he's not just ripping forehands everywhere. He's gotten a lot better at them, but on a day like this, on this surface, when Fucevic is providing that much pressure, he just wasn't able to land enough passing shots, wasn't able to attack enough, you know, first serves when Fucevic landed them, or even second serves. He had his opportunities, but just too many missed second serves or returns or just, you know, again, Fucevic able to come up with the goods in so many moments of this match. This result has more to do with Fucevic than it does with Rublev, which is why I started out celebrating him, who, you know, he's into his first Grand Slam quarterfinal for a former Junior Slam champion, particularly a Junior Slam champion at this event. To do it here, he's made third round at what? I think it's four of the last six, and, you know, another top 20, top 10 victory for him at the Grand Slams. Fucevic is playing the best tennis of his career, 28, 29 years old. It's not quite Karatsev-esque, but it's pretty damn good. Fucevic into his first slam semifinal. He knocks off Rublev, who will be happy to get back on the hard courts here for the home stretch of this 2021 season. You look elsewhere on the board since we're talking men. We'll stick to that side. It was straight set wins for Matteo Berrettini, 6-4-6-3-6-1 over Ilya Vashka. This was the first day I wanted to watch a full set of Berrettini here at Wimbledon. So I watched that 6-4 first set. The backhand's just better. He puts a ton of backhand returns in play now. He's gotten better at the block return, better at the slice return, better at swinging through it with two hands, better in the outer thirds of the court when stretched on that wing. He can actually keep his on-the-run backhand slice pass low enough when he's going down the line that it's not just a floater for his opponents to chop off. And I had a coach who used to say, you know, not since Ken Rosewall has an on-the-run slice passing shot worked, but Berrettini creates enough racket speed and, you know, enough cut on his on-the-run backhand slice that it actually does work. And again, that's when he, the rare times he's on his back foot because if you give him a forehand, now you're on his terms. And whether it's one, whether it's two, whether it's three forehands, Berrettini gets the job done. He plays front foot. He plays on his term. We saw that test Djokovic in Roland Garros on this surface. I think it's even more effective. He did win a title in the run-up to this Wimbledon. He's had success on grass courts before. Of course, never competed in a Grand Slam final, but has made the semifinals. And I just think, you know, bottom half of the draw. It's open for him to do it. It's him. It's Medvedev. Uh, you know, Medvedev or Hercots. It's Federer or it's Berrettini's opponent in the next round. Uh, I believe he's got FAA next. Berrettini's played the best tennis. Well, that's not true. Medvedev's played the best tennis of that group. But Berrettini's had the most success on grass courts. Oh, Federer's had the most success on grass courts. But relative to this season, <laughs> Berrettini's had the most success on grass courts of those four guys. And I just think his serve... I would like to see Federer try and respond to that right now. That would be an interesting matchup. But I just think Berrettini is the guy in the bottom half of the draw. Uh, he looked good today, 6-4, 6-3, Haven't talked much Djokovic this tournament. Haven't needed to. 2-4-2. Two, two. If anyone beats him at Wimbledon, I will be shocked. 
Uh, you talk for Federer. This was his best match. 5-4-2 and two over Lorenzo Sonego. Sonego breaks back at, down 5-4 in the first set. Federer immediately gets the break back, holds out 4-7-5. The serve was landing with confidence. It allowed him to be more aggressive on the return. He did a good job of withstanding the first strike power and anticipating where that first strike was going from Lorenzo Sonego. And then, you know, again, serve forehand when he's on his front foot. He's Roger freaking Federer into the quarterfinals once again. Remains undefeated 17-0 and now, plus a withdrawal victory, so technically 18-0 and in 18 round of 16 matches, 18th quarterfinal at a single Grand Slam is, it's stupid, it's absolutely stupid, but again, Federer rounding, this was good for him because he's off in straight sets as well, and you know, now his opponents, and this was the best, the scheduling conspiracy theory, and let's be clear, it was horrible that Alia Tamjanovic and, uh, and Emma, uh, Emma, I'm blanking out on her last name right now. You know the Emma I'm talking about. Emma, uh, I'm blanking, uh, Radikanu, Radikanu, uh, that they are, that her and Tamjanovic were forced to play a night match, that they weren't one of the immediately one first or second on a given court, given the fact that it's the women's quarterfinal matches tomorrow. That was an absolute joke. That's the one you yell at. If the tournament committee, and we don't know, went to Medvedev and Hercots and said, hey, do you guys want to potentially wait for Federer and Sonego? We don't know how long it's going to go. I think it was a set and a half through. Federer was leading at the time the rain started to come. But if they were like, hey, do you guys want to play tonight? And they're like, nah, we'll just play tomorrow. That's fine. Then there's no fault in it at all. But I love the conspiracy theories of Wimbledon telling her cats and Medvedev, no, you guys are playing tomorrow. And the reason they did it is to help Roger Federer because they want Roger Federer to advance to the quarter, uh, to the semifinals, stay alive in the tournament. So because of that, they're making her cats and Medvedev play tomorrow, making that potential quarterfinal match with Medvedev the third consecutive play either of those uh, day either of those guys would have been playing. That's just beautiful conspiracy and again with how quickly Federer and Sonego uh, finished I think if Medvedev and Hercots knew hey you're gonna have to sit around for 45 minutes and then you're going back out on court they probably would have played out the match but they didn't know that at the time and let's just say Sonego would have pushed that match two three hours and you're just sitting around waiting there that's the worst feeling anywhere you know what's the worst when you're sitting at a at a Qdoba and you're waiting there 25 minutes, and you're just like, are you serious? Why isn't this line moving? Do people really need queso that badly? Or you're sitting in a checkout counter, and you expected to leave in five minutes, and it ends up taking you 17 minutes. And now, imagine doing that, but it's four hours, and you're waiting to go out there to sweat your off and, and you know play and try and play for hundreds of thousands of dollars and with you know a grand slam quarterfinal on the line you can understand why they you know what we're just going to rest up we'll we'll be back out here tomorrow you can understand that decision if that was the decision but i would like to hear what the decision was and let's just say i am not believer in the conspiracy theories but i am a believer that that match is going to be very fun down the home stretch because it's right now six two six seven six three three four medvedev on serve in the fourth set who be doing his thing, taking advantage of Medvedev's uh, return position, serving and volleying and mixing in his aggression. Medvedev doing all sorts of Medvedevian things. That match should be a fun one. That'll conclude tomorrow. I believe it's a second match on. So, or maybe it's a first. I don't know. But be on the lookout for that. Your other winners on the day was Denis Shapovalov into his second career Grand Slam quarterfinal six one six three seven five over Bautista Good. He just outpowered Bautista Good. And again, he's a good enough mover, good enough athlete that he's able to withstand the rally ball of Bautista Good because Bautista Good stretches you into the outer thirds. But it's inch by inch by inch by inch takes him three shots to do what Denis Shapovalov can do in one powerful clean stroke of the ball and you know again 616375 he was up a break in the third gave that break back but was able to ultimately secure the break serve it out wins 76% of his first serves on a 60% first serve percentage wins 56% of the second serve points 7 of 13 on his break point chances to Bautista Gutz 2 of 12 and again it was a bad matchup for RBA because he loves to hit that inside out forehand and for a righty to do that to the ad side of the court normally that helps 
But Chapo's a lefty, and he's hitting on the run forehands, and that's when he's particularly dangerous, and he was connecting on them in sets one and two, just had a little bit more power, wore RBA down with his own power in set number three. Shapovalov into another Grand Slam, so, you know, justifying uh, quarterfinal, justifying that top 10 seed. He's currently at number 10 in the live rankings. That's a new career high or ties his career high previously. One more victory for him would not get him close to Roger Federer at nine. If he wins the tournament, he can only get up to as high as number eight. But this is a step forward for Shapovalov, another Grand Slam quarterfinal. That's what he's looking for. Only a young 22 years old. Uh, again, you probably thought he might have more than two by now, but given how many next-geners are competing for those quarterfinal spots, there's only, you know, after you take Djokovic out of the equation because he's always going to get one of them. And then if Nadal's in the tournament or Federer, that's probably a second one. There's 20 guys competing for six other spots. Chapeau gets another one under his belt. You've seen him do it at the U.S. Open before, summer hard courts where he always seems to thrive. So some confidence for him going into that portion of the season. That's going to be critical. He advances to the quarterfinals as well. You look on the women's side, and I'll use this as a way of previewing our day eight matches as well. I already mentioned the Jabor Sapalanka match. Jabor Sapalanka, three set winners, one and one in their career head to head. You look at the other winners on the day. Ashley Barty, straight set victory from her. She comes back from a set down to ultimately advance over Barbara Krejcikova. It was a 7 5 6 3 victory. Now, the moment of the match, Krejcikova, 4 2, 40 15. Easy plus one backhand approach shot. She misses it in the net. Next ball, double faults. Deuce point, high backhand volley. She makes 97 out of 100 times. This is one of the three she misses to an open court. She had the put away. She had time to even load up on the backhand volley. Just misses it in the net tape. Barty gets the break back for all and then slowly Barty regained her form, and our Crack Rackets patrons have heard me talk about Ashley Barty, her versus Tomjanovic, my match of the day. I talked about her extensively in the ace of the day as well. I'll just say this. She's yet to play her best match. I think Tomjanovic presents her an opportunity to play some dominant tennis, and that's the one thing we haven't really seen from her because even in her last three straight set victories, she still hasn't played her best match. And even in the 6-1, 6-7, 6-1 win over Suarez Navarro, she wasn't that great in those 6-1 sets. But she has gotten better physically over the course of these first four matches. They're her first four grass court matches of the season. And, you know, again, you look at the top half of the draw. Kerber, Mukova, Tamjanovic. Who's got the big weapon to throw Barty off of her game, to not let her play at her rhythms, at her cadence? I don't know if any of them do. And that's why she's the prohibitive favorite right now, according to oddsmakers, plus 210. According to Tennis Abstract, she's like a 48% chance of winning this event. I just think... Again, well-rounded game, the slice, the attacking, the way she got better in this match, the forehand started landing, the first serve started landing. Barty's playing really, really well. She gets through 5-3 and three over Krejcikova, sets up a match with Tomjanovic. Look what happened to Emma Redicano. Until she addresses it specifically, I'm not speculating. Clearly, the moment was... Certainly grand, and you can imagine an 18-year-old feeling the pressure on her shoulders. You can also, you know, again, playing the physical matches, those first three matches. That was a physical 6-4 first set as well. 18 years old, she hasn't been exposed to that sort of high-level, high-intensity ever before uh, tennis, ever before in her career. Tamjanovic did a great job not only fighting Raducanu, but fighting the crowd in that first set, just making a million extra balls, making the match physical, doing all the things she did against Ostapenko, just against an opponent with slightly less pop. Uh, Tomjanovic, 6-4-3 love. She advances now to the first quarterfinal of her career for her to do that at age 28. Uh, we talked, I've mentioned it on a previous podcast, or I think it was the ace of the day. Generational shift. When there is that sort of moment, there are going to be windows of opportunity. When there's uncertainty, when we're still trying to learn who are the best grass court players. Oh, none of them have played more than 20 career matches. We don't know who the best grass court players are. There's going to be uncertainty in the draw. 
the veterans are the ones that prevail. And for uh, Alia Tamjanovic, she's now like I believe it's twenty eight and twenty three in her career on grass courts. That's a big sample size. And you know, with this quarterfinal, she goes from number seventy five in the rankings back up to number fifty in the rankings. And you know, now at a minimum, she'll get into qualies for all of the events this summer. But if there's enough withdrawals or there are any injuries, she'll get into every event she wants to play this summer. Doesn't have to worry about those sorts of things. Has a healthy stash of points in her back pocket now for the next year and you know again she's 33 in hold percentage 37th in break percentage she's not elite at any one thing but she does a bunch of things really really well Alia Tamjanovic deserves to be in this quarterfinal you know again it's been a relatively straight draw for her she had to face off the Ostapenko threat though I know Ostapenko wasn't seeded but certainly she was a top 10 contender entering the tournament so if you think of it in that way she has had that sort of monumental win beats Cornet in three sets in round number two Cornet was the one who knocked off Andrescu and then here takes care of business was leading and you know was going to win that match against Raducanu but ultimately now first slam quarterfinal for her half to feel good for Alia Tamjanovic her and Berrettini for those who don't know in a relationship it's good night day in the household right when you're getting two quarterfinal checks and you're just like let's go like what do we we're, it, we're getting steak tonight right like what is Google tell me nicest restaurant in London that offers non-gluten diets because I have to play again in 12 hours and it's like boop boop and then it says oh of course perfect there's a sushi restaurant right here it's like we're going there right now uh, because that's the so and then it's funny, Mr. Thieneman, Dalton's lovely father, a patron, wants us to do a segment or a show called CR After Dark. We're a little bit more inappropriate. With that framing, I wonder if the inappropriate – if you have to play a match – I'll bring it up now, whatever. It's the Mini Break Podcast. It's late here at CR headquarters, and I like to bring up funny topics. If you're Alia Tamjanovic no, – is it inappropriate? I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, all right. Tweet at me, at Great Shot Pod, if you want me to finish the thought. But <laughs> maybe that's enough information for you. I just have a question. I'm wondering if they are or not. Um, but, again, if you can't figure that out from there, I'm not addressing it any further. I'll leave it for the Patreon subscribers or, again, at Great Shot Pod, if you want me to finish the thought. But, you know, Tamjanovich through to the quarterfinals as well. You look elsewhere across the board. I mentioned the three-set results, but your other straight-set winners, Angelique Kerber, rocking and rolling. Just golf couldn't hurt her, and the first serve wasn't landing at a high enough percentage, wasn't doing enough damage. All the rallies were on Kerber's terms. She was the one deciding when to go down the line. She was the aggressor. She advances to another Wimbledon quarterfinal, but again, first half of the season, unequivocal victory for Coco Goff, who's closer to top 10 in level than the 20 what three rankings she has right now you also look for Carolina Mukova it's her and Barty those are the only two players now to make two quarterfinals at the Grand Slams in singles uh, in the WTA Tour this season. She earns a uh, 7-6, 6-4 victory, comes back from a 5-2 deficit in the first set to knock off Paula Bedosa-Jaber. There's not as much slice in terms of the an aggressive slice, I should say, from Mukova as there is Jabour, but that willingness and the ability to take a ball early on the rise and move forward behind it, there's an aggression to Mukova, a well-roundedness. It, it's sort of Krejcikova-y, but a, a little bit less dynamic from the baseline, a little bit more straightforward. Try and take the ball on the rise, try and take it early, try and get to the net. Krejcikova, I think, a little bit more dynamic from the baseline. Both equally good movers, though. You know, again, that movement's never going to be an issue for them, regardless of opponent. And, you know, Bedosa Shabir just uncomfortable at the net. There were a couple of overheads she couldn't put away, and there were just balls she, you know, times she could have moved forward and just hit a first volley to open space, but she didn't. She stayed at the baseline, and that allowed Mukaba, who is such a dynamic athlete, to get the ball back to and rally back to neutral. You know, again, Bedosa Jabir was up 5-2 in that first set breaker. Just a couple of errors. Mukova able to extend some rallies. Mukova able to flip the script, get through that first set, and then 6-4 in the second. It was a good match, but Mukova was the better of the two. And so she advances to, round no, uh, to the quarterfinal round. You look at your last two results. Pliskova. She withstood the first strike of Samsonova really, really well, used that length, her anticipation skills so well, and look, Samsonova produced the errors. This was not her best performance. Her win streak snapped. Now, again, unequivocal step forward for her. She's now top 75 in the WTA ranking solidly for the first time, but Pliskova, 
back into a Grand Slam quarterfinal. That length, her first serve, her comfort level, her ability to just these ridiculous pickups off the ground to take these balls on the rise and incorporate power on them. And again, she anticipates as well as any player I've ever seen. Men's, women's side, doesn't matter. She, you know, she's not the most natural mover, so she has to read the game well, but she reads it so well. It's a clinic and just reading body position. You can see her, okay, close stance. She's going, you know, down the line. Oh, or open stance. She's going you know, inside in, close stance, she's going whatever, whatever it may be. She just reads the footwork, the body positioning so well. Uh, and that's what she did for Samsonova. She knew where that first strike was going, was able to absorb, redirect, and then eventually draw the error from Samsonova. So again, step forward, first round of 16 for the 22-year-old Samsonova Pliskova into another slam quarterfinal. And then Victoria Gulabic, a surprise quarterfinalist here at this 2021 Wimbledon, 6-3 and three over Keys. Now, Keys able to come back narrow, I believe, another 5-2 deficit in the first set. And I know the trainer came out, I believe, to work on her toe early on in set number two, but just there's a lot of firepower from Golubic. She's a dynamic athlete as well. We've talked about her a bunch on this podcast of late, but you look at your matchups tomorrow. First time matchup between Barty and Tomjanovic. Mukova taking on Kerber. Kerber 2-0 in those matchups, both of them on uh, hard courts. It was a 3-6-6-3-6-3 win for Kerber back in the Miami first round 2019 for Kerber. It was also a 3-4 win in Monterey. Now, Mukova currently ranked higher than then Kerber currently better on tennis abstracts numbers over the last 52 than Kerber. But of course, this is grass court Kerber, and that's a completely different animal. And look for Carolina Mukova. Does she have the weapons? Does she have the aggressiveness, the ability to move forward to make Kerber uncomfortable, to force Kerber to have to hit off of her back foot, which Kerber can do well on a grass court, which is what makes her so special, but force her, you know, into hitting passing shots and having to hit high risk, low margin shots, not being the one dictating, not forcing Mukova to hit slices in the outer thirds of the court and, you know, does Kerber just have her on a string? Mukova's got weapons. Mukova can certainly put some pressure on Kerber. And, you know, again, if Sabalenka versus Jabour is match number one, that's probably match of the day number two. That should be a really, really fun one. And, again, by the time you're listening to this, that match has probably already started. But that should be a good one. And then Golubic Pliskova. It's a lot of power tennis. That's an ideal draw for Karolina Pliskova. If she plays her best match, she will find herself in the Wimbledon semifinals. If I would have told you that before the tournament, you would have slapped me in the face. Of course, it's the one tournament no one predicts her that she ends up making a quarterfinal run. And now that people are going to predict her to advance, she probably ends up losing to Golubic. But again, power tennis at its finest. That should be a really good one for extraordinary quarterfinal matches. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to break down all of those matches to preview the men's quarterfinal matchups as well for what it's worth right now on the board. It's going to be Djokovic on the top half of the draw taking on uh, excuse me, taking on uh, Martin Fucevic, Hachinov taking on Shapovalov, Berrettini, FAA, and then Feder playing the winner of Hercots and Medvedev. But that's everything that happened on day seven of Wimbledon. Of course, picks for day eight can be found on the Great Shot podcast. And if you missed out on any of the previous day's actions, you can find the links to every podcast, both on the Mini Break podcast feed or on our website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shout Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Figner and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Ruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 